Oh my God, ladies and gentlemen. It feels good to be back. Hello, hello all you ladies, gentlemen, and everybody in between. Welcome back to Sports Tales. It's been a while. It's been a little over a month since I've seen you, since I've made a podcast. And if you've been following on TikTok, you'll see that I've tried to make updates every once in a while to explain why. But... All that's in the past. We're here right now. We're talking right now. Little unscripted kind of deal today. We're here to talk about the USFL. I'm your curator for this sports tale. Jack, only known as the Jester. You can follow me on my TikTok at Jackie Boy Sports. At time of recording, we are 1,000. 132 followers strong. Thank each and every one of you who listens to this podcast and also follows me on here. I greatly appreciate it. And you can also follow me on Twitter where I'm somewhat active in shouting at people because I'm toxic. At jjester615. All of that out of the way. Follow me on those platforms. I'd greatly appreciate it. Tell me what you think about the episode. Let's get right into the USFL. I'll be taking you through a little bit of how they started, but mostly focusing on, well, let me pause, unedited, as you can tell. I'll be taking you through the start. I'll be taking you through the original teams, the kind of setup of the playoffs, but I will mostly be focusing on the lawsuit they had against the NFL, and then I'll be giving you a little bit of information on the new league that is kicking off today. Let's hop right in. So the USFL, otherwise known as the United States Football League, was a spring football deal. Mr. David Dixon, a fairly successful New Orleans-based businessman, made his money in like antiques and stuff. Also, couple things he did that were really he's very very loved in new orleans he helped bring the new orleans saints to the nfl and helped build the louisiana superdome which is actually where the saints still play today uh with lamar hunt he developed the uh i think it's world championship tennis league which ran from i believe 1968 to 1990, if I get the dates correct, which, hey, no shame on that. But he saw an opportunity in the spring to host professional football to fill the gap between the NFL's Super Bowl and the NFL's preseason. Uh, And he developed that idea in 1965. And for the next 15 years, he would study the latest two challenges to the NFL dominance, which was the American Football League, the AFL, and the World Football League, the WFL. Uh, In 1980, he hired a marketing agency to do a study on the feasibility of a spring and summer professional football league, and they came back with, yeah, it might work. Which, hey, if you got a dream and you really, really believe in that dream, you want people to have their football in the spring, a simple, "Eh, yeah, it might work. We'll do just fine. So Dixon went straight to work, signing up 12 cities, nine of which already had an NFL franchise, 
which, I mean, will come back to bite him in the ass. I don't think that was a smart move. I get you want to... You want the big markets, and the NFL was already in the big markets, but you're a new league. So you got to start with the medium markets and then maybe move into... You know, the New Yorks, the L.A.s, the Dallases, you know what I mean? But he, he signed up those 12 cities for the opening USFL season. And then he quickly, 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 he quickly reached a TV deal with ABC Sports. And then and then the sm- very small, at the time, ESPN, uh, the TV rights were sold off for $13 million in 1983, $16 million. In 1984 and 5. Each year ABC was paying 9 million of the total rate. In accordance with this. uh, And then ESPN president Chet Simmons. Was hired to be the commissioner. Of this new league. Now that first year the USFL actually. Did fairly well for a new league. Uh, With 12 teams operating. They were able to lure 2.7 million fans. Out to spring and summer football. And they averaged about. 25,000 fans and were and the Denver gold which a color really I get like the gold rush like I get it but the gold but they were able to draw in over like 40,000 fans per home game which in the NFL like now pulls 60,000 maybe 60 70,000 per home game so that's that's really not awful it's still <laughs> the saying all that the USFL still lost 163 million in that time and it is considered but it's still considered to be the strongest rival league to the NFL since uh the original AFL which merged with the NFL. Now the USFL really operated at a time when the NFL's control of the market wasn't nearly as strong as it is today, which the kickoff was in 1983, and they folded in uh, 1986. Uh, Some key players that really helped draw in fans was Doug Flutie, who you might have heard on the Patriots, made that drop kick, uh, was on the Bills when the Music City Miracle happened. He wasn't the quarterback, but he was supposed to be the quarterback. That whole thing. Uh, Steve Young, a 49ers fame, played for the LA Express. Jim Kelly of the, you know, 0-4 Buffalo Bills. I'm so shocked he didn't kill himself after that fourth loss. But he played for the uh, Houston Gamblers. Reggie White, the greatest pass rusher of all time, got drafted by the Panthers, but then went to the Memphis Showboats. And then Herschel Walker was the highest paid football player in the world at the time. And he played for the New Jersey Generals. Now, you may be asking, you know, 12 teams, how were the divisions? What were all of these teams? So happy you asked. So there were three divisions. The Atlantic, the Central, and the Pacific. And I wish I wrote down the team's names Along with the cities they were in, I'm going to tell you the full team's names, but I have the divisions and teams separate for whatever fucking reason. 
But the Atlantic, uh, New Jersey, Philly, Washington. Oh my god, I put bows. Why the fuck did I put bows? Oh no. Ladies and gentlemen, I might have fucked up. Boston. Okay. (laughs) My fault. So Boston, New Jersey, Philly, and Washington. The Central had Birmingham, Chicago, Michigan, and Tampa Bay. And then the Pacific had Arizona, Denver, Los Angeles, and Oakland. Now, the original teams uh, included the Arizona Wranglers, the Birmingham Stallions, the Boston Breakers, the Chicago Blitz, the Denver Gold, the Los Angeles Express, the Michigan Panthers, the New Jersey Generals, the Oakland Invaders, the Philadelphia Stars, the Tampa Bay Bandits, and the Washington Federals. Now, the issue with this is throughout the entire extent of this league, the entire... 1983 to 1986, teams were moving and folding and merging because their finances were just in the shitter. Like, the Arizona Wranglers, for example, they had to merge with the Oklahoma Outlaws because they both were just in the shit and became the Arizona Outlaws. Uh, The Birmingham Stallions folded in 85. The Boston Breakers became the New Orleans Breakers. And then the Portland Breakers, or became New Orleans in 1984, and then the Portland Breakers in 1985. The Blitz folded in 84. The Gold folded in 85. Most of these teams folded in 85 because this is when they tried to move to the fall. And when they moved to the fall, teams just fucking collapsed. So the Express, the Showboats, they folded in 85. Uh, The Michigan Panthers folded in 84 and merged with Oakland for 85 season. But, however, however, the Panthers did win the 1983 USFL Championship. So good show on them. Like I said, uh, the Oakland, or they didn't merge with Oklahoma. They merged with Oakland. I think I said that, but I'm not sure if I exactly said that, so I apologize. Uh, Oklahoma, yeah, they merged with Arizona. The Stars actually won the 1984 championship, but folded that year. <laughs> well, folded. They moved to Philadelphia. And actually, they won the 1985 championship. And then they folded. <laughs> the Pittsburgh Maulers came in in 1984 and left the same year. <laughs> The uh, San Antonio Gunslingers came in in 1984 and folded in 85. The Bandits were there the entire time and stayed the Tampa Bay Bandits. One of, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, one of five teams out of the original 12 to, like, stay the entire time. And then the Federals became the Orlando Renegades when they moved to Orlando in 1985. Yeah, bunch of moving, bunch of folding. Team's finances were in the absolute shitter. But 
before we get to the actual lawsuit, let's give you the little draft, how the playoffs were set up. Two little details that I found a little interesting. Not the playoffs, really. I mean, it was just the division winners, and then you had one wild card team, which, I mean, fair enough. Uh, you know, three divisions, and then to make it even, one wild card, whatever. But the draft, actually, they had two different drafts. And I want to pause right here. I apologize that this shit is, like, all over the place. Didn't write a script. It took forever to get the research down, partly due to motivation (laughs) and personal issues that I'm going through. I'm not going to lay all my shit out to y'all. I just want to tell y'all that is why this is all over the place. Next week, I will have a definite, or I'll get all into that in the outro. But drafts, they had two different drafts, the territorial and the collegiate. I pronounced that correctly. I'm so proud of myself. Let me pronounce it again. Collegiate. (laughs) So the territorial started with each team being assigned a five college pool that were deemed to be in that team's region. Basically, you know, let's... What? Memphis. The uh, Memphis... I already forgot their name. The Memphis Showboats. They get like... The Memphis, uh, the University of Memphis, maybe MTSU, maybe UT Knoxville, like they get those colleges in Tennessee and they basically get rights to the players coming out of those colleges. And they allow, well, I'll get into it. Uh, From which it selected 26 players. Uh, Each team had 20 selections to accommodate the new six expansion franchises that probably Wrote that down out of context. Awesome. Uh, in 1985, it was raised to six schools per team, uh, which it was speculated that they did that so the generals could sign Doug Flutie for, you know, namesake because Doug Flutie was coming off that Hail Mary throw. I don't remember a fucking thing about that Hail Mary throw outside of it was tremendous. I can see the play in my head. Don't, you know. Don't get on me. But the territorial selections were conducted by the teams who communicated their choices to the league's office in writing. You know, once drafted, a player's USFL rights belong to that club and were ineligible from selection in the regular college draft. And then the league's office, in turn, would send out, you know, hey, these guys are drafting. These guys are being drafted here in the territorial, so blah, blah, blah. Uh, how they, and like I said, how they kind of controlled that was you only got a limited number of selections. So teams, you know, weren't drained of all the talent from, you know, colleges across states. And then the USFL would send out a notice saying these guys were drafted at the territory draft, so you can't have them. Anyways. <laughs> so, and then the collegiate draft is... Pretty much the same as the regular NFL drafts. Just some players got drafted in the territorial. Now, why did they make it like this? Why did they have a territorial draft as long as a collegiate draft? Why didn't they just have a collegiate draft? Well, this process was actually conceived by David Dixon himself. Uh, He wanted to keep geographic interest in the franchises so basically, you know, if you loved a guy, if you were 
you know, chilling in East Tennessee and you really liked a running back from the University of Memphis, he had a very, very high chance of being drafted into the Memphis Showboats. So you would probably just become a really big fan of the Showboats or that was the idea. Which, hey, pretty fucking smart, in my opinion. Pretty fucking smart. So, all this happened. The draft, the seasons, the folding, the merging, the moving of teams. But what actually happened in order for this team to fold? See, the strength of the league soon became its weakness. The lack of a hard salary cap sent teams into financial difficulties as as players, you know, wanted more money. And this is actually goes on apparently in European soccer clubs for a while. You don't have a hard cap, so you have players expecting so much money and you can't pay them, blah, 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 blah. So on top of that, prior to the 86 season, the league decided it would try to compete with the NFL and play in the fall, in which, you know, the lawsuit... One of the stupidest fucking... Whatever. The Drew League's now faced a decision. Should it continue with the Dixon plan? You know, the guy who founded the league that called for the expansion to 16 teams in its second season, which I'll pause, Davey, it's too soon. Let's ride out this 12 team. You know, the teams are already losing so much money. uh, (laughs) Like losing a lot of fucking money. Uh, teams are already folding. Teams are merging. All of what I said, we're not expanding. Uh, but they would put in a salary cap of $1.8 million. And then a, that regional draft that I talked about. Or they could pursue a league filled with stars that could more directly compete with the NFL. Pretty much load the league up with shit they couldn't afford. But new ownership blood, most notably Donald Trump... Pretty much the, the everybody fucking agrees. As soon as Donald Trump bought the New Jersey Generals, which I think he was, you know, the owner of the Generals from the start, but as soon as he made the decision to have to be the owner of the New Jersey Generals, it was the fucking writing on the raw writing on the raw. Wow. Writing on the raw. What the fuck is a raw? Rumble, Biggie. Ah. But that was the writing on the wall. But him, as long as Eddie Einhorn in Chicago and J. William Oldenburg convinced the league that pursing starts and spending money was the way to ensure success. I know we don't have the money. I know we're losing lots and lots of money. I know more teams are folding, but like, let's just shove more money into this. <sighs> Ta-da. After another season of big losses by many of the teams, Trump and Einhorn convinced the other USFL that moving to a fall schedule to more directly compete with the NFL would lead to a merger of the two leagues, and the USFL teams would be worth $70 million each, which was the going rate for NFL franchise. No! <laughs> no, I get the NFL just merged with the AFL, but as we get into it, Pete Roselle. The commissioner for the NFL hates Donald Trump. Anything Donald Trump is associated with, he hates. 
And Donnie has to know that. Donnie's not an idiot. A lot of people love to call him an idiot. But he's not. He knows Pete Rozelle doesn't like him. Why would he? Why? But teams were folding. Financial losses were just increasing. So they just, they, you know. And when they moved, like I said, (laughs) back up. Pause. Rewind. I'm so sorry. But since losses were mounting, many teams were folding, and the decision by the league to move to a fall schedule was causing teams to move out of NFL-dominated markets, you know, because they couldn't make any fucking money, and they were playing the same schedule as the NFL. What was the meeting like? Like, I know, I know you can't be a moron and not be a billionaire. You know what I mean? Or you can't be a moron and a billionaire at the same time. You got to be smart to make that much money. But, like, (laughs) we're losing a lot of money. Like, a lot of fucking money. But we think the merger is just going to happen, like, immediately. Like, we're not even going to talk to the NFL. We're just going to move, just mosey on over to the fall. And uh, hopefully, hopefully they'll just merge, you know? Like, you know? Jesus. But after all this, after the NFL didn't actually merge with them, they decided just to throw up this Hail Mary to save the USFL. What is that? Oh, suing the NFL for violating the Sherman Antitrust Act, claiming the NFL had an unlawful monopoly on TV contracts for American-style football. Uh... And they alleged that the NFL had a monopoly on TV broadcasting rights and, in some cases, access to stadium facilities. Uh, and in the actual loss of the NFL, the NFL, the USFL also claimed that the NFL had bullied CBS, NBC, and ABC to not allow fall USFL games onto the air. And they also claimed the NFL had conspired to ruin the Oakland Invaders and the New Jersey Generals, which, once we get into it, and what pretty much everybody knew, yes, <laughs> the NFL was doing this because, you know, they were the big guys on the block. So they could pretty much tell, you know, they were making these companies the most money. So if they said, yo, show our games over this guy, they're going to fucking <laughs> those companies are going to show the NFL games. But I didn't actually know fully what the Sherman Antitrust Act was. So I decided to look into it a bit more. And the Sherman Antitrust Act of 1890 was the first measure passed by the U.S. Congress to prohibit trusts. It was named for Senator John Sherman of Ohio, who was a chairman of the Senate Finance Committee and the Secretary of Treasury under President Hayes, which I think it was William B. Hayes. Don't judge me for whatever, whatever, whatever. A trust is an arrangement by which stockholders in several companies transfer their shares to a single set of trustees. In exchange, the stockholders receive a certificate entitling them to a specified share of the solid. This is a lot of legal mumbo jumbo. Basically, basically, it's it's what was signed to. Make it a fair market for everybody. Try to make it a level playing field for 
everybody. It had a lot of problems, and it was uh, refined, just like every bill that was passed that long ago has been refined. Uh, but examples of it being used, if you want to look these up, uh, President Taft used it against the Standard Oil Company, uh, the late 90s, uh, the federal government used uh, used the antitrust act against Microsoft. <laughs> Basically, this law, I gave you the legal terms, my terms, it's, it's just there to try to make it the free market run more fairly. Now, people pay people off, money talks. So, it's not always fair and free, but hey, at least it's there, right? But that's the basic of the Sherman Antitrust Act. And uh, let's get to the actual trial. So Frank Rothman represented the NFL as the lead attorney. And Henry Meyerson was the USFL's lead attorney. Now Rothman asked himself a single question. Who is my bad guy? He sought someone the jury would find difficult to believe and even harder to like. He sought someone with false bravado, 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 can't talk, but he sought someone that was easy to hate because he didn't really want to see, you know, his job was to make the USFL not seem like the little guy that's being treated unfairly. You know what I mean? So he didn't want the USFL to have any sympathy, and he wanted to see that the USFL was failing because of their own doing, which, hey, it was. But the more I developed his strategy, Rothman stated, the more I wanted Donald Trump as my fall guy. The fucking man said every liberal for the past (laughs) damn near 10 years now. Uh, I would call it Donald versus Goliath. I would make their scheme Donald's plan, which it was. I would show that Donald Trump is not a little lightweight. He is one of the richest men in America, which, I mean, he was. But basically, hey, Donald's a dickhead. Donald is not a good person. He was trying to do this, paint Donald to be the bad guy, which, like I said, he kind of is. But early in the proceedings, I really, I really, I really want to focus on the Pete Rosell version because the Pete version, the Pete Rosell part of this, because it's so beautiful. So Pete Rosell gets called up to testify, and over the course of five days, they just go at Pete Rosell with you know questions and cross examining, blah 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 blah. And- Basically, it came down to there was a meeting that Pete Rosell and Trump, Donald Trump, had at the Pierre Hotel in March of 84. Now, what happened and what they talked about is completely different, <laughs> whether you ask Donald Trump or whether you ask Pete Rosell. They both have completely different recollections of this uh, meeting. In Pete Rosell's recollection of this meeting, uh, he basically said that Trump was trying to strong arm him into giving Trump 
a team in New York. He didn't want the Giants or the Jets. He wanted his own expansion team in New York. And uh, to get this expansion franchise, Trump basically threatened him with the antitrust lawsuit and uh, (laughs) arranged for a, quote, wealthy real estate man in Florida to buy the Washington Federals and move the team to Miami because, you know, he thought that they would put up a fight against the Miami Dolphins and then arrange for new ownership of the USFL's team in Chicago. And he told Rizal, but I don't want to do any of these things. I want to do a Trump accent, but, like, I, I can't. He said, I don't want to do any things, Roselle. He said, I want an expansion team in New York in the NFL. It's basically th- trying to threaten the NFL if they don't give him a team, which is the fucking dumbest thing you could do. Donnie. <laughs> Donnie. I would say I'm on your side, but I'm really not. You make it look bad. Now, Trump says that Roselle promised him an NFL franchise if the USFL would stay with a spring schedule and not file an antitrust action against the NFL. And, of course, Roselle denied ever offering Trump an NFL franchise, adding that only a vote of 21 of the 28 NFL owners at the time could approve a franchise award. Hold on, let me do this. Because there was only 28 NFL teams. So what, that's four teams that weren't in existence. The Panthers, this was 84. So the Panthers, or this was 86. The Panthers, the Texans, the Jaguars. Oh, no. Oh, no. The Oilers moved to become the Titans. The Saints were there in the 60s. Oh, boy, can I get this? Uh, The Browns, right? Yeah, because the Browns moved to Baltimore after the Colts moved. And I think the Browns came back in 96, 97. So the four teams that are missing would be the Browns. Did the Colts move that early? Yeah. Yeah, the Colts moved in like the mid-70s, right? Anyways, <laughs> the Browns, the Texans, the Panthers, and the Jaguars. That's all the teams that are missing. Uh, fact check me if you want, but I already know I'm right. But Trump's version would appear to support the USFL's charge that the NFL had acted in accordance with a suggestion made several weeks before the meeting by a professor from the Harvard Business School. The professor suggested that one way the NFL could harm the USFL would be to co-opt the most powerful and influential. I pronounced collegiate right. I can't pronounce influential right. Owners with promises of a franchise, basically. (laughs) Pete Rosell just hops over and says, Hops over to like the four wealthiest owners and just like, yeah, I give y'all a team if you just want to hop out of here and stop supporting this. And Trump insisted that Roselle wanted him in the NFL, which P. Roselle had the most amazing <laughs> comeback to this. Uh, Roselle insisted, quote, he would rather have maggot infected fungus overtaking his cranial 
lobe than have Donald Trump in the NFL. Hate, love Donald Trump. Hate, love Pete Rozelle. That's a great fucking quote. And just paints the picture perfectly of how Pete Rozelle (laughs) sees Donald Trump. But Trump just kept pushing that Roselle was pushing for him to be in the NFL, that Roselle didn't think the USFL would last, and yada, yada, yada. And Roselle was just denying this. Trump said that they were friends. Roselle said that they weren't friends. Blah, 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 blah. The last thing I want to point out that Roselle had said, uh, Meyerson, the lead attorney for the USFL, uh... Asked, so why did you agree to meet with Trump on such short notice? Because they weren't friends. You know, they weren't business partners. Trump basically called him up and said, hey, could you meet with me? And Pete said, because he owned the New Jersey Generals, and I felt the responsibility, the obligation as commissioner to hear what he had to say. And that's fishy to me. Pete Rozelle, from his account, doesn't like Donald Trump. Doesn't want anything to do with him. So why did he meet with him if it wasn't some kind of planning to have hands in the falling of the USFL and to have them move into the NFL? You know what I mean? It just, it throws up a red flag. I don't think the red flag is that giant. But if you want to respond to like, I felt the need, like it was my obligation, even though you don't have connections to the USFL at all. From what I can find, P. Roselle didn't have any connection to the USFL at all outside of this lawsuit. So why you felt obligated to meet with the richest owner of the USFL is is fishy, especially when you have no relationship with him at all, business or personal. But deliberation, July 29th, 1986, at exactly... 3.55 p.m., Patrick Bowes, the court clerk, announced that a verdict was at hand. The jury members, tired, battered, and emotionally drained following five days, 31 hours of deliberation. Oh, my God. 12 angry men can kiss their ass. Great fucking movie. But behind the scenes, apparently, the six jurors, juror, the six jurors, Yelling, barking, crying. Uh, there was a story that this woman said, how about you, you're a minority, trying to, you know, <laughs> not trying to say, oh, get that minority, you know what I'm saying? But they were like, please don't take that out of context. But not trying to say that they were a minority, basically saying they were in the minority of the voting and she wanted to hear their opinion. I don't know why she, well, I guess, you know, if you put a you're in the minority... Just put a year in the minority. Don't call him a minority. What are you doing? Anyways, uh, but yelling, barking, crying, because three jurors favored the NFL and three favored the USFL. Split right down the fucking middle. Uh, Patricia McCabe, a reference clerk for AT&T, suffered from heart murmurs. Miram, Miram, Miram. Sanchez, a high school English teacher, had excruciating headaches, as well as heart palpitations. We were not getting any place, Sanchez said. We were screaming at each other, calling each other names. I was called frivolous, 
it's, it's the worst name I've ever been called. Uh, Sanchez, Miram. Frivolous is the worst name you've ever been called. You were not picked on in high school. I envy your high school experience, my guy. I really do. It was called so many things. Uh, Jerry was apparently in this whole thing, you know, the jurors arguing back and forth in the entire trial. Pete Roselle was like calm, cool, and collected. You know what I mean? He's a professional. He's the commissioner of the NFL. That's just his demeanor. And Donald Trump was very like erratic, very defensive. And Jerry Agrovitz, owner of the Houston Gambler, said it was a hard thing to watch unfold. And he admitted Donald didn't love the USFL. To him, it was small potatoes, which is terrible because we had a great league and a great idea. But then everyone let Donald Trump take over. It was our death. Wow. Even the other owners outside of the other two that tried to conspire to merge with the NFL (laughs) hated this guy. But what was the verdict? So now with the room packed and quiet, Judge Peter K. Leisure, decent name, uh, asked McCabe if the jury was ready. She said, yeah, totally, let's get it. Uh, She handed a piece of paper to the judge who stared down and cleared his throat. Everyone in the courtroom was standing. Myerson and his colleagues were positioned at it. No, I'm not even going to fucking, why not write, why not copy that? I'm going to be honest. A copy and paraphrase. You know what I'm saying? But the first question was, do you find that the NFL monopolized the business of professional football? Yes or no? The answer is yes. Myerson grinned, thinking he won the entire thing. And then the judge rattled off about 27 more questions, yes or no, to the jury. And all 27 of them were answered yes. And the crowd went crazy. On the USFL side, they beat the NFL. They beat the big guy. Happy, joyful, high fives, ass slaps, belly to belly rubs, all that. You know what I'm saying? However, that joy didn't really last long. See... Yes, the NFL was found guilty of most of them. They were cleared of eight of the charges later, but they were they were they were found guilty on a lot of them. But the the penalty, see the pen, it comes down to the penalty. See the penalty the NFL had to face for monopolizing professional football. The penalty the NFL had to face for pretty much trying to just fuck with the USFL as soon as they found out it was moving to the fall was a dollar. Uno, however you say dollar in Spanish. One dollar. Now with antitrust laws, it's multiplied by three. So really it was three dollars and with taxes it came came out to three dollars and 76 cents. But still, (laughs) three dollars. The penalty was three. That's 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 absolutely nothing. And it's quite hilarious, to be honest. So that's that. The <laughs> USFL. So the three dollars seventy six went to the USFL, 
And then the NFL was eventually forced to pay the USFL's attorney fee or uh, $5 million in attorney fees. But the money was way, way too little to keep the USFL afloat. And they just kind of fizzled out. <laughs> they just fucking, they just fizzled out. David Dixon, the original, you know, the founder, pulled out like two years before all this happened because he hated the way it was going. Like I said, everybody in the mother, except for like two people, hated Donald Trump in this scenario. Because it, it, you can really say his greed, his want, his desire to have an NFL team brought the USFL to its knees, brought the USFL to the door of the NFL, and the NFL just shed on it. You don't, you're... You're a chihuahua, and the NFL's a pit bull. You're not winning the fight. You're not. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And it wasn't even about the fight. Because <sighs> Trump's end game, end goal, everybody agrees on this. Trump's end goal was to merge with the NFL, throw out a lot of the owners, keep a few of his buddies so that they own some USFL teams that were able to you know, be in the NFL, and it just, nobody liked him, and it just didn't work. Chris Mad Dog Russo, who hosted the uh, uh, Renegades post-game show, I think the Orlando Renegades, if I remember correctly, uh, he said, I covered that trial, and he had to hate Trump. I just never saw how anyone liked him. Uh, Sibula? Who could not get past two things. One, that the USFL's dysfunction was the greatest culprit in the league's failings. Yes. And two, Trump was awful. I mean, you know, he was extremely arrogant. <laughs> and I thought that he was obviously trying to play the game. He wanted an NFL franchise and the USFL was a cheap way in. And yeah, <laughs> basically... He saw the USFL as an easy way into the NFL, and he failed because he's an unlikable dickhead. <laughs> Anybody like, even his supporters now when he became president and when he's out of office and the people who are still blowing him, like, you have to admit, he's so unlikable. He's such a dickhead. But, like I said, the league folded for 30 years, a few rumblings here and there of like, what if it came back? What if it tried it again? The XFL popped up in the early 2000s and that folded. The AAF tried their hand at it, but that folded with financial problems. But finally, the USFL announced that they would be coming back in 2020 with at least eight of the original teams. And uh, they realized that the XFL would be, the new XFL would be starting at that same time. So that they could be in competition immediately. So I, if I had to guess, I really couldn't find anything on why they moved it back to this year, 2022. But my guess would be they didn't really want to compete with another league yet. So they wanted to see how the XFL was going to work out, which the XFL is coming back next year, which that's a whole weird... The XFL deserves its own episode, but they came for one season, and then they couldn't play the other, and then The Rock bought it. Whatever. The Rock bought it like The Rock bought them. 
Anyways, this... <laughs> oh my god. Okay, first off, Brian Woods, co-founder of the League's Reboot, says he's extremely passionate about football and the opportunity to bring back the USFL in 2022. Uh, we look forward to providing players a new opportunity to compete in a professional football league, blah, 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 blah. The league has struck a broadcast deal with Fox Sports. And, you know, Fox makes a lot of fucking money off the NFL and college football. So they're looking forward to having professional football in the spring. However, we have a bit of a bad omen, ladies and gentlemen. There is a new lawsuit. (laughs) There's a lawsuit before any balls have been kicked in the USFL. There is a lawsuit. Against the USFL. What lawsuit? Well, you see, several former team owners and executives from the original USFL are suing Fox over the new league using the same name and moniker as the original USFL. But Fox argues that the original USFL abandoned its trademarks after being defunct for nearly 30 years. And the plaintiffs in the lawsuit determined the false narrative that the eight teams eight teams and league names are derived from the original USFL, which stop. Like they obviously are. It's the same cities, it's the same names. But the former USFL owners argue that permission was needed, and a complaint was filed Monday in a California federal court seeking to prevent Fox from using the original name. This just happened. As well as the names and logos of any of the original USFL teams. Basically, the original executives and owners that are suing them are like, you can't use our name. You can't use the USFL name. You can't use our team names. You can't use our colors. You needed permission, and they're claiming Fox never asked for permission. Uh, Fox could have easily started its own league with new teams, but instead chose to take the goodwill and nostalgia of the original league without the permission of the people who actually created it. Attorney Alex Brown is quoted on uh, Pro Football Talk. Fox can't dispute that the real USFL marks are recognizable and valuable because they're using them and purposely confusing its league with the original. Ah. I mean, they're rebooting the league. It's, it's, they've really held no secret in this is a reboot of the original league. It's not like they're trying to push, oh, this is a brand new concept, brand new idea. No, they're intentionally throwing back to the old USFL. They just didn't get permission to do it, apparently. But rather than do the right thing, Fox has chosen to try and bully the prior owners into submission. That's not going to happen. And then blah, 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 filed the lawsuit, called it unabashed counterfeit. And then the filed complaint includes claims for trademark infringement, false advertising, and false association. Now... The, the court date is set for April 18th, and like I said, the kickoff for this new USFL is scheduled today, which is April 16th, so we won't get any updates on this court ruling uh, for a while. Well, for a while. Uh, I'll keep it updated on my TikTok, 
But this could be a really, really bad omen for this new league. You haven't even kicked any balls. You haven't anyone you haven't had any commentators saying welcome to the USFL or the USFL season is underway. Nothing like that before you're already getting sued. I really hope this works out. I really, really hope spring football works out. It it really looks like there's just not the money in it, but football is my favorite sport in the world. And I would love nothing more than for it to be on all year. But the NFL can't do that because guys would play literally three years before they fucking die. But that's the USFL, ladies and gentlemen. A little bit of the old, a little bit of the new. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm sorry it was so chaotic. I'm sorry it was filled with mistakes. I promise episodes will be more uh, structured with a script. And uh, I I did a lot of research, but I didn't write out a full script. So I apologize for that. Uh, I was dealing with some mental issues, some personal issues, but I'm back on it. Uh, I'm not going to dump all my crap on y'all and load it with y'all. I just wanted to finally do another episode of this because I love doing this. And uh, again, I'm sorry it was so chaotic, but I hope y'all still enjoyed Uh, Thank you if you're listening to then. Uh, Until now, I love each and every single one of you. Again, if you want to follow me on my most active, uh, or I post daily on TikTok, at Jackie Boy Sports. I've started streaming on YouTube and Twitch of the same name, Jackie Boy Sports. And then follow me on Twitter for my random thoughts about all the things, at jjesser615. I hope you all have a good week, a good weekend, good day, good night, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you have a great one. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Y'all have a good day.